Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions and interests shape our identity and our lives. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I am a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. This podcast is produced by Laura Studeris, and for this season, we've partnered up with Under the Radar magazine. If you like what you hear, you can hang out with us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WNB, the podcast. And if you really, really like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are under Why Not Both podcast. When you join our Patreon, you get a whole bunch of really cool behind the scenes stuff and you get to chat with us. And that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for your support. And I hope you enjoy our interviews. For this week's episode, we invited Dan from Bastille to come hang out with us. I hope that you enjoy our chat. I don't know if you've done that when you're tracking music as well, where sometimes like you'll be just really into what you're doing and then you're like, did I, did I track um, any of that? I have the worst habit of, particularly on my phone when I'm trying to record voice notes or video, of doing the proper, proper like old man thing of thinking I'm pushing start record and I've actually just stopped it. So I get the like, I get the, the 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 chaff before and after that no one wants, and the bit that I'm trying to preserve for infinity um, is gone into the Plus. ether because <laughs> I because I can't seem to just push a single digital button with my stupid thumb. So yes, I can I can relate to you very much. I feel this in my soul. Um, the weirdest is I, I find those, I don't know if you leave late night voice notes for yourself for like song ideas and whatnot. That's where a lot of my ideas will come from. And it's one or the other. It's either I've left myself, like you just described the, the mystery tapping sounds on your phone, but none of the actual like thing you meant or just like cryptic lyrics. Yeah. Me too. Stuff that at the time in, in your headspace at the time feels so brilliant and profound. And then you read it out of context and you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> like. Who the fuck borrowed my phone and wrote this awful poetry? Or like, why are you thinking about that? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> terrible. And so like every now and then, like you, know, you do it because you know that every now and then you will love something that you've written or left for yourself. But like the vast majority is there to be sieved away. Um, <laughs> and voice notes as well. I find with with the voice note thing, like I get song ideas all the time. If I'm in that sort of Yes. If I'm in that space where like I'm writing loads and melodies are popping in my head and like I get I get ideas at the weirdest places like I have to leave films in the cinema to go out to the little corridor and sing yes. into my phone. Like you know when, when we're traveling a lot like on the bus or on a plane or whatever I will I will get ideas at the most unfortunate points and I have this really annoying affliction where I'm not confident enough to like loudly sing into my phone in public. Like I could be in the back of a, you know, of an Uber or whatever and, and yes. an idea will come and I'm too embarrassed to really sing it. So I kind of, I kind of mumble it. And then when I listen back between the sort of loud noise of the car or whatever transport you're in or the room or like between that and me kind of so embarrassingly, embarrassedly half singing it, like there's fuck all there. I'm basically <laughs> listening to white noise. And, and it, it's sort of the worst of both worlds because you both look, like a weirdo psychopath huddled in the phone in, in huddled in the corner on your phone. And then you don't get the bit out of it that you're trying to preserve. <laughs> in the yeah, I find myself often lamenting getting the worst of both worlds. I should probably just, you know, people say the older you get, you um you just care less about what other people think. Yes. Like, I would love to skip to that point 
um, so that I could, you know, cut, cut, cut to me in 10 years time and I'll be like screaming down my phone on the corner of the street. Um, <laughs> I admire not- when people do that, quite frankly, like when I see someone, <laughs> I too have, I, I call them the, like the whisper singing demos where it's yes. like, yes, where you're just like, I know I was trying to get something across to myself. Not sure what it was, yeah. um, but I admire, like I'm I'm from LA and live in LA and there's this audacity that a lot of people that are here just like have where they'll just like be standing on a street corner and, and they'll full on be recording their voice notes. And even being from here, I'm kind of just like, maybe, maybe in my next decade of life, I'll step into that audacity. I'll just go full weirdo. I hope so. But then I, I'm, I'm so mortified by everything that comes with being a musician. I don't know why. I, I think I grew up not not wanting to be in a band. I didn't ever think I would be. So it's kind of ridiculous that I am. But like to the point where like once my friend asked me to take his guitar on the tube, bearing in mind, I don't play guitar, but in my head, whatever critical narrative existed of, of all those people who were judging me, like obviously cut to the end, no one gives a fuck. No one cares. What you're doing ever. But I was like mortified at having to carry a guitar on the tube in London. Cause I was like, what if someone thinks I'm like that guy with the guitar, like that annoying musician? Like, that's how that's how self-loathing I am as a musician. So you're um, gonna aggressively think, busk at them or something? Well, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna take. I mean, I think because I'm in a band, people assume I'm gonna be that guy at parties that's always like getting the guitar and singing fucking covers and kumbaya, which I'm which I'm just I'm not. I'm. I think you just saw the look not. of fear on my face. I'm like, oh, that guy. There's always that guy. I'm glad you're oh, not that God. guy. Yeah, I'm not. No, no, I'm not. It takes a lot of persuasion. And um, I also don't play guitar, which is a really handy excuse. Um, yes. So, yes. yeah, I'm, I'm not that guy. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, but I have a, a huge catalogue of totally unusable voice notes. And it is weird. Like I find with songwriting, the thing that I love so much about it is is the sort of gratification of obviously making something from nothing. The thing didn't exist and then exists. And... I'm I'm not very self-disciplined. So like if if either writing at home by myself or in the studio or writing with other people or for other people, I love the like the like the thrill of the chase, you know, when you get the melodies that you love and it's all starting to fit together. And I'm not someone that's like, right, let's stop and let's interrogate this. Let's really get to like No, I, you gotta get it out first. You can edit yeah. it. Like, that person, that person yeah. is very important and probably right. But I'm the guy that's like, no, let's just, let's get it. Let's let's do all the harmonies now, but you don't have a lyric yet. I'm like, I don't care. I want to have that. You want to hear it. Um, and I think with voice notes, it's, that's that's the thing is I think I, it's the, uh, it's that really exciting instant gratification. I'm like, oh my God, I love this. Cause it's in your head. You're like, this is amazing. And you sing it down and then obviously you listen back and 90% of the time it's, it's crap. <laughs> but, but anyway, that's. Sorry to, sorry to talk for so long about voice notes. It's probably not It's right. almost like I've invited you to my podcast to speak. Yeah, you have right. fulfilled the thing. You did the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. I've, said, I've, I've currently said absolutely nothing of worth, though. So I'm, I'm... <laughs> it's so funny. I um, I have several very close friends who are British, and and as stated, I'm from LA. Um, and are you were you uh, born and bred LA? Yeah, I'm one of the oh. I'm one of the strangers. I'm, I'm... I'm born and bred London and people never believe me that I'm actually from here because, you know, yes. living in these living in these transient cities that people move to. Uh, anyway, sorry, back to you. Yeah. No, you're OK. That's uh, it's so funny because being from here, like I guess and growing up in the valley and speaking like I do, um, one of my friends thought that I was making fun of him the very first time we met. 
because this is my personality. And he thought I was just taking piss. <laughs> and like, so the nicer I was, the weirder he got and the more like apologetic and angry because he just thought I was mocking him and I didn't know what was happening. So I tried yeah. to be like nicer because I was like, maybe this guy's having like a hard day. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's the funniest cultural difference, like understanding now, like kind of like, um, like the self-degradating humor and like all the stuff that like the things that are the exact flip opposite of what you would do coming from LA. Yeah. Yeah. And I so it's, that. it's hilarious that you were just like, I'm so sorry. I'm talking. I was like, oh my God, that is, that's, <laughs> that is so something that someone from London would say. Whereas in LA, everyone would be like, oh my God, but like more about me, like more me in the monitor. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I'm happy to, I'm happy to have lived to have, quite perfectly lived up to most to the British stereotype you're yeah. that's good yeah. <laughs> I'm doing chef's hand oh yeah it's one step away from chef's kiss it's nearly there <laughs> <laughs> how did you end up being a musician if you said that that was kind of like it sounds like the music bit is the part you like about being a musician and the other bits sound vaguely horrifying yeah that's exactly it I um I was such a nerdy self-conscious shy little kid um and I had my kind of like group of loser mates and like you know we had a, we had a good time but it was like you know whatever the British version of super bad but way less cool was that was like my childhood um Excellent. but I loved films so much like I was real film nerd like when I was 11 I got obsessed with the scream films bizarrely. um and um that led me down a sort of real I don't know, through through like a, through a sort of deep dive into the horror genre, starting with kind of American horror and all the big series and then and then into kind of like Italian giallo and, you know, to kind of Asian horror as well and kind of all over the world. Um, and then that led me more into just weird, more left field world cinema. And um, yeah, I guess the sort of the, 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 the kind of artistic greats like David Lynch and Kubrick and, you know, it, that was that was I guess Scream was like my my gateway drug to to just being a film nerd so I growing up I was like so obsessed with film and like how films were made and the history of cinema and you know and and and, and you know and new films coming out all the time um that was like my gossip that was like my rag I loved like I loved it um and I had like a dorky little scream website um at the time uh back when websites like weren't as much of a thing like a geocities um, website Oh yeah, yeah, GeoCities. Um, In fact, I made so I made at the time I made a, a a fantasy poster for what I thought Scream Four, which didn't exist and was very far off, would look like. And I'm convinced, excellent. But what I made for my for my for my website, I'm convinced that they actually used that in the poster. <laughs> if, you, if you search if you search for the Scream Four poster, it's like a really dodgy four. Um, with the sort of the, the face of, uh, I think, Nev Campbell uh, from an old poster. And you can see like the streaks where I was like, I think probably in an early version of Photoshop or maybe Microsoft Paint, I was blurring the streak lines out. And Excellent. I did like a really dodgy big sort of gothic four. I, I am not organized and cataloging enough to have a record of that website because it's on like, you know, five computers ago. But I fucking I I swear they nicked it. They they went into the archives of, of Scream Dorks online and they fucking stole my poster, I swear. Anyway. <laughs> they were probably uh, looking for like what would appeal most to the Scream fan base. And they were like, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's go to the source. <laughs> 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 um, 
<laughs> and uh, so, so that was like that was like my escape. That I, I used to love films. Like, you know, I remember, be, you know, being in the UK. I remember getting a pirate video copy of Scream Three on VHS and watching it. And it was literally someone with a camcorder in the cinema. Like, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't hear anything. But it was. I think I was probably about fifteen, and it uh-huh. was like the most exciting day of my life like, like this best and how did you play a vhs like i remembered i, I studied abroad in oxford when i was a teenager yeah. and your video format is different, different. than our video yeah. format. And our, D- our dvds were as well yeah but it was it wasn't it wasn't an, it must have been it was a british vhs but it must have been filmed oh. in america instead of, and this is like this is obviously massively dating things but like at a time where films would come out way later in the UK. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's how much of a nerd I was. Like, proper, you couldn't make it up. And I was at the age, like, I mean, I definitely should have been more self-aware and more mature than this, but, like, I would talk about it so much to my friends. I can't believe they put up with me, but, like, I would talk about it so much. Like, uh, like I have a goddaughter mm-hmm. who's obsessed, you know, who's, like, really obsessed with Harry Potter and has been, you know, since she was, like, eight or nine. Yes. And would just talk about it with that sort of like childish enthusiasm where you assume that everyone else cares as much as you do. So oh, they want to hear all these facts. <laughs> I, I can barely breathe. I cringe so hard thinking back to the amount of people I would have subjected to, to, to really not that interesting facts. about. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, nothing more pure than seeing someone be excited about the thing they're excited about. Even if you yourself are not that excited. I don't yeah, know. You, say, you say that. You say that now, and I, and I appreciate it, and I do agree. But I don't think you've been on the wrong side of me trying to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't been on the the wrong side of the hyper focus on Scream. Yeah. And um and yeah. Anyway, that's uh, but but basically, I, I sort of as a teenager had this kind of pipe dream of being a film journalist because I kind of. I grew up in South London and I was didn't know anyone that kind of made films or cared about films or anything like that, but I loved reading about them and I had this fantasy of writing for like Total Film or Empire or one of the newspapers and, and writing <clears throat> about films, like, you know, hearing about the film journalists that got to just go to press junkets all the time and yeah. spend, in my mind, like spend their days watching previews of films that weren't out yet, which to me at the time was so exciting. That would be like heaven. Um, yeah, so I also wrote songs, but that was very much like just a, dorky thing I did for myself like I was again I'd never would have dreamed in a million years of ever playing them to anyone or getting up on a stage or anything it's just like I was writing actually I also didn't know what to do lyrically at the beginning so I was like my friend would write poems and I'd interpolate them into songs um she was quite angsty so it was like me channeling an angsty teenage an angsty teenage girl um and I, and I was like, and my, my dad found some old poems he'd written when, when him and my mom were traveling around America and I, I turned them as well. So um, that's sort of where it started. But I, you know, I went to university and studied English literature and was going to do film as well. And then I, you know, when I finished uni, I was going to do a postgrad in journalism and I very much was like set. That's what I wanted to do. Um, but yeah, I was kind of doing music in and amongst that. And when I went to uni, all my, like a lot of my friends were, were in bands and 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 so suddenly I was kind of spending a lot of time at shows and um one of them basically her like entered my one of my songs into like a competition like heard one of my songs and kind of snuck it into this competition which I ended up kind of winning uh, and that forced me to like do my first gig and think about uh-huh. like all of that stuff so that's kind of where it started for me like relatively late but 
it just wasn't part of my, you know, I've never been someone that thinks about the future or imagines like what the future might be like or what I want to do. I'm, I'm not particularly kind of ambitious, um, but I definitely never thought I'd be in a band. So <laughs> I, I was kind of not, it just wasn't like part of my reality or, you know, um, so it's pretty fucking weirdly ironic that that's been my job for like nearly 10 years. I like that you got like jumped into music essentially. Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, <laughs> like, I, obviously, I lo I loved it. Like, it was my, it was my like hobby. Yeah. In a, in a private way, you know, yeah. I just wasn't like, I didn't grow up being like, I want to be in a band. I want to be famous. Like, that just wasn't a thing at all. And it's, it's still kind of, sort of isn't. But like, that's why for me, it's a kind of safe, escapist little place I can go in my room on a laptop or on like a twelve track or whatever, just like layering up vocals and writing songs. And I loved like. I used to love like Regina Spector so much and yes. I, used to, I used to love like weird narrative pop like Kate Bush, yes. Regina Spector, Anthony and the Johnsons, um, like Sufjan Stevens. I, lo I loved that sort of slightly whimsical escapist, you know, drawing in characters from, from, from the real world and the fictional world and all of these different yes. places. And, um, yeah anyway so that's 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 my that is my unabridged life story <laughs> how that, about you that's so funny in, in my mind what what ran through was like written by evelyn wall <laughs> like why am i like this <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it i'll take it <laughs> no that that makes so much sense hearing also the artists that you liked and the and that you were so influenced by film because I find narrative songs so fascinating because people assume, and I'm not sure they assume this of male songwriters, but a lot of times of female songwriters, they assume that if you're writing about something, it's your lived experience. And in some ways it is because like it is imbued with your emotion. Yeah. Um, but I really like story songs too. And I, think, I remember hearing like Laura Marling, who is an artist I think is uh, amazing wow. and really Brilliant. fascinating. And, you know, I remember seeing, I remember seeing her play a show in London where we were in the queue to get into the show. And I think at the time she was 16 and the, the legal drinking age here was 18. And mm -hmm. she wasn't allowed into her own gig because she wasn't old enough to be in the bar. So she ended up coming out and, and playing acoustically like in this alleyway. And she, you know, oh. she, was, she was amazing, but she was also, you know, kind of quite quiet performer. And I think, you know, quite shy as well. So to do that, I look, looking back at it now, like what, what amazing courage to do that. But, you know, she's someone who, you know, as a fan of hers, I, I, just assume that there'd be autobiography potentially in a, in as unfairly, uh, you know, uh, totally unfairly as, as you, you know, as you just stated, like hopefully, hopefully not as a sexist thing, but, um, but I, yeah, it was, and, and would hear her in interviews be like, no, fuck off. Like, these, these, these are stories. I'm writing stories. And, and yeah, of course, yeah. of course. But yeah. I love that. About, you know, I think that's, but yeah, I mean that's that's always been a thing for us. Like like you you just articulated it about other people, but for me, you know, our songs are it's it's using other it's using other narratives to sort of articulate a thing you've wanted to say, or you know, stitching your life into a famous pop cultural moment or a story about someone else. You know, it's I find it easier to sort of project thoughts and ideas onto other stories and other characters. But I don't know if it's a if it's a if it's a gendered thing or if it's just a I think we look to a lot of real big mainstream musicians who maybe sort of diarize their lives a bit in music and, yeah. and maybe maybe therefore just because that's in some people the norm, we kind of expect 
a lot of the more songwritery musicians we're hearing to be um, writing as autobiography. Um, right. But they become I, kind of like avatars of of storytelling in a in a way is what just sprang to mind. That it's like they become these like archetypal stories that we can just kind of self insert. And they're like, oh, okay, I see myself in that. But then we make the assumption that like, oh, those are the details of like their actual life. Yeah. Like, oh no, that's a song. <laughs> that's it's but like then, based on true events. But, but, like, then, <laughs> but then at the same time, like it's so thrilling when stuff. I don't know. I think of Amy Winehouse all the time. I mean, I think of her all the time. Yeah. She, but like the the details in her songs, and I think I think a lot. Like when I'm writing with other people, and they want it to be about themselves, I always. It's probably not very helpful, but I'm always like, give give some give some context, like give some facts, like places, names, like what were you drinking, yeah. like where were you? Just and, and and obviously that's quite basic to say that out loud, but I but I just think that's what I so love in her music is the sort of guttural reality of some things. It's, it'll be like the yeah. most beautiful, gorgeous poetry about heartbreak and loss and addiction, and then it'll be completely offset by something so vulnerably pedestrian you know that that really grounds it in reality and like fuck this is like true and I know that she potentially more than a lot of other artists you know really like I think her music was sort of it just incredibly raw and honest and, yeah. and truthful to her experience of life but yeah I don't know I always think I was I feel I feel like it's too easy in writing about things like love and heartbreak to, to if that's what you want to write about to sort of fall into platitudes so it's just nice to have those details that make you believe it because you want to believe you want to believe it and sometimes someone's voice can sing so someone's voice can can sell a platitude and you'll be like when you sing it like that <laughs> I, I would believe if I would yeah I'd believe anything but um yeah I know. anyway sorry I'm on a I'm on a I'm on a real ramble <laughs> well it's those details that make a story so compelling and like you said that mm. you want to you know, you want to believe the stories. And so whether those details are true to that person or maybe they're true to a moment, that is what draws us into stories. Like when you said that about Amy Winehouse, there's like one line she has about like little carpet burns. Yeah. Like yeah. that song, that's that's what popped into my head. And the, the, yeah, the, 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 the little carpet burns and, you know, yeah. like her being on the kitchen floor and, and you yeah. know, and, and, the, and, and naming drinks and places and pubs and... Yeah. Yeah, it's so, she so wonderfully captures the kind of the flawed humanity of those moments in such a, uh, in such a believable way. Like you're there, yeah. like she doesn't have to say much. It's like one little detail, but you are in the room. Like you can yeah. smell the smoke and you can smell the perfume and um, feel the texture of, you know, the sofa that you're sitting on. Like it's, it's yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. It's a real, a real talent. I think, you know, there's, songwriters who do that are amazing I think of like Frank Ocean as well as someone who yes. with with one sort of like thrown away little bit of a line you, he so will capture the humanity of a flawed thought process or you know misremembered thing or you know <sighs> the tone and the temperature of the environment that he's in like so well I think that's always a that's always a really amazing skill to have and I wonder as well how conscious that is or not like I wonder for those people if if those if those things and those lyrics come effortlessly or if if they're labored over and you know either way that's fucking awesome yeah I was curious what your process was with that like I love that you asked me I was like oh that's so sweet because <laughs> mine ends up being like this weird melange where sometimes I'll understand later what I was writing about but at yeah. the time I'm kind of like 
well, this this just came to mind. Um, does that happen to you where sometimes later you're like, oh, I was actually working something through that was personal, but it was coming through the lens of something not or like, yeah, what's yeah. that? I don't know. I, I guess sometimes I'll have like, I want to write a song about this. And often that song won't come instantly, but I'll I'll find a way to, to work it in. And a lot of the songs in this album were like that, you know, they... <sighs> it's a kind of science fiction and wanting to explore all these sort of quite complicated ideas. And it meant that I sometimes labor over lyrics and, and I often will, if I know what it's about. So like we, we have a song called Thelma and Louise on the album and there's so much to unpack in that film and, you know, both in yeah. terms of the context of, 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 in the time that it was made and how it was received, but also like within the film, you know, what, what it's, what it's talking about and how it relates to the album in terms of, escapism and all of that mm. um but like it's a two minute song with three verses and they're not very long and I wrote probably oh like 50 verses because you know I was like do I talk about escapism I have to obviously acknowledge the kind of darkness in the film and I you know and the fact that you know I don't know whatever uh, but also I was like do I I also want to acknowledge the fact that it felt like a turning point in Hollywood where there could be like non you know two two female leads that aren't you know, just in their early 20s, you know, mm -hmm. critical and commercial success. And at the time, people were excited and it felt like a sort of shift in sands and what, what like a mainstream film could be. And ultimately it wasn't, unfortunately, as often is the case with these things where it feels like a big step forward and actually it's, it's kind of not, unfortunately. I'm an outlier. I was like, I, I, I'm fascinated by that. I like read loads about it. I was like, how the fuck do I get that into, you know, into everything else that we're talking about? So, you know, I sh it should be an entire album about that film rather than <laughs> one song. But yeah, so that's, that's in terms of my process, like, yeah, often, I mean, I think sometimes like, you know, lyrics and melodies do just fall out and then you look back at them maybe in the listening back to voice notes or in playing a song to someone else. And I'm like, oh, interesting. It's about that. And you'd be like, mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Def yeah, that's what, that's, totally yeah, that's what that. I'm thinking. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but then other times I'll, you know, I'll really labor over it. I think a thing that I have sometimes is I've written a song and it's sort of got a line in the chorus that the whole thing's hanging off. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just decide it's about something else. And it's that kind of retrofitting uh, puzzle, puzzle. Mm. I don't know that, that like, but it's different for me. It's different from song to song. Sometimes they fall out. There's a song on, the, on this new album of ours called No Bad Days that, that was sort of inspired by quite like a heavy personal experience um mm. within my family mm. um and i i i'm definitely not someone that's like this big thing happened in my life let me go and write a song about it like that right. obviously right. makes me cringe hard but um but i sort of came back from that experience and was in the studio and writing some songs and and, and was sitting at a keyboard like singing through a vocoder and this and that song just kind of fell out and some of the lyrics seemed related to that experience and and others not so it's not necessarily 100% directly about it but it's very much inspired by it and it wouldn't have come at any other time so yeah. I don't know it's weird isn't it like I think yeah that the emotions come out even even if it's not attached to like a factual narrative in a way it's like the emotions of the situation come out and you're like oh yeah, yeah it's interesting isn't it I, I think also I think also like our older songs were probably a lot more kind of evasive and vague mm. um, and I think I've as a writer got gotten way more specific I feel like, yeah, maybe I want people to be a bit more aware of exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, well, that's, so that's, that's been an interesting development. Yeah, because then, like, 
you're more vulnerable when you are kind of being more specific in a way like how you spoke of Amy Winehouse that it was like this like raw honesty it's similar if you're writing something that really does come from a very personal place like that does make you more vulnerable when then you're presenting it to someone else because you're like oh I'm actually being seen in this different way this is actually yeah. so oh <laughs> like it's not veiled in things yeah um that's hard <laughs> yeah how about you what's your what's your like do you have that thing of of well, you, I mean, so you said it already. You, you would like often you'll write something and be like, oh yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people have that. I think there's this whole a whole thing with kind of art in all its various forms of, you know, we, particularly with like older or classic works of art or songs or films or whatever, um, you know, I, I wonder how much of art criticism and music criticism is, is imposing. You know, I think of like, you know, podcasts like Dissect and stuff, which obviously are brilliant at, at kind of for me illuminating things that I might have missed or whatever but I think just just in 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 criticism of the arts and in the writing of, about the arts it's interesting just to think like how much of that was a happy accident you know how much of that slightly vague lyric is you know super profound and how much of it was like just something they thought sounded cool on the day that you know because it's because everyone agrees this thing is great we've we've kind of retrospectively retrofitted with um with this poignance and this importance yeah I, I, that's just that's like forever forever a thing it feels um, very very English lit major where it's like I don't know if this was your experience um studying literature but I found it interesting whenever a teacher in class would be like well but this is the interpretation and I'm like there is no definitive interpretation yeah. like even if you ask an author if you're just like was this exactly what it meant it's very rare that someone will be like Yes, that it meant that exact one thing. That is the only thing to write an essay on. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and it, you know, to egotistically relate it back to myself is why, like, when we were releasing vague, more vague songs at the beginning, and people were like, "What's this mm -hmm. about?" And I'd be like, "It's up to you to decide what it's about." You know, that's that's part of enjoyment of stuff. And and it was kind of wild to me to see songs that I knew specifically where they came from. You know, being interpreted as a love song, I was like, that could not have been further from that if it tried. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It is a really, it is a real. Did you study English as well? Um, I studied. I was debating if I wanted to be an English major. I, I did a lot of uh, like English lit classes in high school. I ended up being a very useful. I was a classics major. Ooh, but oh, great yes. stories. Great, and what what a like interesting, fucked up uh, set of uh, of histories and stories to to look into. <laughs> you just saw in my face I'm like accurate sir that is very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yes I was like you know when am I ever gonna really have the time to delve into this why not when I'm in college um yeah yeah a double well, major it's a confusing enough time let me just fuck with myself a little bit more <laughs> yeah. literally I was just like what's stranger than late adolescence late adolescence translating ancient Greek Ooh, yeah, you really, really set yourself up there, didn't you? I, just, I, I went hard <laughs> on, on in a lane, um, but yeah. How was it? Was it interesting? Oh, yeah, it I must loved have been it. Yeah. I loved it, and I, I feel like that definitely informed my writing because I was also I, I studied psychology and music as well, and then got my master's. Oh, wow. Like, and so it's like that led me through that. But I do think that studying, studying classics, studying English lit, like all of that. I think that that then informed what I do in like psychology and in music and things like that. Because mm. I think without like the storytelling aspect, and that's why I find it so fascinating that you're so into film. It's like without stories, you don't have really any of those other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And yeah, and stories, stories are like what we bring to them. Like I find it fascinating that you're really into horror because I just spoke with a, I just spoke with Lauren from Churches. Oh, and cool. Yeah, for their record, she was researching specifically like why women actually love the horror genre because she was curious about it because of how women are often depicted in horror. Yeah, and, and, and where did she get to with that? Because I, I saw that they were kind of playing on yeah. loads of sort of like the the like the the final girl and you know and the opening victim and like all of the sort of tropes of horror. It is fascinating, I think, as a as a genre. You know, I, I mean, I, I I want to hear your answer, but like, but like. And um, what you were going to say before I just started talking myself. So sorry about that. But it is it is fascinating. I'm, I'm that we're, Jewish, we're so, so overlapping. Like, it's good. <laughs> we're so we're like we're so drawn to this genre that's ultimately just like really exploitative and fucked up. But it's like it seems to be like an acceptable cathartic release for like loads of people. But I she's she is way more thoughtful and intelligent than me. So I'm interested to know what what yeah what she kind of what their ideas were with that. Sometime you two should be in the same room and just self-efface at each other until one of you implodes because that was exactly what she said in an interview. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is phenomenal. Um, like, I'm so curious what your take on, on why you liked Scream and why you liked horror because what she said was so fascinating to me is that um, as women, we often do relate to this feeling of fear um, just in our everyday lives. And so seeing it on screen is in some ways very validating because it's, it's like validating our experience in a way to be like, oh, this is real. I'm seeing it in a story, but it's also a safe place for it to play out because it's not happening to you in that moment. But it's it's saying to you, like, yes, the feelings that you have are real. Um, and I was like, so wow. like, obviously, from a male perspective. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. And like and I can so see how how yeah like that's such a, that's such an interesting point isn't it yeah um to have that to have that validation because i imagine there's you know so much of so much of the female experience and just general experience of life of, of you know these things that are real and experienced all the time but for those who don't you know for whatever reason also feel feel and experience the same things you know it's just really hard to to get someone else to kind of relate to that and yeah that is that is such an interesting point I mean like from a male perspective like I I, I wonder what it is about horror I, I think for me it was probably more basic and it was about um particularly when I was really young it was a kind of it was a thing in a genre within the safe space of film mm -hmm. that was kind of socially acceptable it was like um I guess it was a sort of uh like these things were, were so horrifying and and it was so unacceptable to maybe watch be watching them at a young age mm. that felt kind of like rebellious to me yeah like transgression it was, yeah it was like it was like a form of trans transgression I mean sure other kids were probably like smoking and doing cool stuff and then there was me like trying to get hold of dodgy horror films but yeah <laughs> it was interesting and, and yeah and and I should just listen to your podcast with Lauren because that sounds like she has a lot to say about it but yeah it must be so validating you know, there's been there have been some instances of kind of absolutely horrendous violence towards women in the UK I mean as yeah. as unfortunately there always are like yeah. just because everything is fucked um but there have been in in you know recently there have been a few really high profile yes hideous, hideous kind of like acts of violence against against women and it, you know, the, so the conversation in the UK has been you know a really um 
yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunately keeps resurfacing and, and, and so much about, you know, it, it, it means that everyone's chatting to like friends and partners about not feeling safe. Like, you know, I live in London and, and, and I just think as a, as a guy can potentially unfortunately lives like slightly ignorantly being able to kind of like bumble down the street at night, like checking my phone and, and just, you know, a lot of the worries that, fucking half the population and more experience <laughs> you know yeah. in, in in that in that nighttime walk that I just am, am lucky enough and um to not have to you know not not have to but you know not have had to think about as much yeah. and um, that feeling of un, that feeling of sort of unsafeness like ha, like I guess how did how how did you how did you relate to what Lauren said I found it fascinating um and I'm glad that you just spoke to what you did that it's like half the population doesn't have these experiences but I'm so glad that you recognize that because that's like that's that's the whole moment right there is once you see oh someone has a different experience than me that's that's then when change can occur mm-hmm. because like if I went up to a guy and just was like here's my experience the guy might be one or the other but if you say to like your mates like this is what I realized like maybe how do we make women feel safer like how do we make it safer because you're the ones that are going to be affecting that change it's like by asking women to create more safety that's like uh, but we're the ones being attacked like how would we do that 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 (laughs) argument is that i mean that argument is is absolutely crazy yeah Yeah. and so i'm just like yeah like hearing you speak i'm like thank you for speaking to this because you're the ones that can then go about and make the changes so I, i thank you for your awareness around that i occasionally go running at night not at night but like it gets dark really fucking early because i live in the uk but yeah. like you know I, I was hearing someone talk about about this from the male perspective and of trying to be useful and thoughtful about that and you know just things like if you're running with headphones on and you see it and you know you happen to run past a woman who's you know walking in the going in the same direction as you um you know her hearing someone panting and running behind is probably probably gonna freak her out. <laughs> probably gonna be fucking terrifying, yeah. For like a whole host of reasons that I, you know, can't and won't ever understand. But um, you know, even just things like that, and like I don't know, crossing the road away from someone. I, I, I don't know, just just trying, just trying to be thoughtful uh, about about that. And also, you know, like you said, doing any anything and everything in your power to um, create an environment and encourage others to create an environment where everyone does get to feel safe yeah we're, we're a long way from there but like that's where it should fucking be obviously <laughs> that's yeah. yeah when you said that I had never experienced that like feeling of of like safety walking at night thing um probably just raised in LA and also like low-key my parents are both retired lawyers I'm the only not lawyer in the family I <laughs> both my parents are retired lawyers as well but me and my oh, sister high five. Me- <laughs> me, and my sister, me and my sister both went as far away from law as we possibly could i'm in i'm in a band and she's a therapist so yeah i i i'm i was like spoiler alert i am my band and i'm a therapist <laughs> amazing <laughs> I, i'm the two combined you are, you, like you are you you are me and my sister combined <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> two people in a five foot tall body just got them both in there um that's so funny yeah so you might have had a similar experience of like so but you sorry i i, I talked across it you were saying you um sorry yeah. being from LA, la and having two retired lawyer parents yeah there was no like anytime i'm i'm uh, I, I feel like i'm always playing mental calculus like wherever i am like looking around and also like 
I don't know in meters how tall I am. I'm like barely five feet tall. I'm basically the size of like maybe a 12 year old, like on a good day. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like not a, not, I, I I made it to like five feet and was just like, yeah, it's like only up from here. And then I I just never grew again. And I was like, when, how old were you when you stopped growing? I was 15. Like I, and I thought I'd hit like a late growth spurt or something. And it just, uh, I'm the smallest in my family, even like we're, we're not a large hey. people, but like I'm the smallest of the not a large people. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so I've always had this experience of being like smaller than everybody and like, yeah. of, you know, in a in a city and with parents as lawyers and all this stuff. And the only time I really understood how that impacted me, I was in Reykjavik, um, which I love Reykjavik so, so, so much. And one of the reasons is that like I was I was hanging out with my friends, it was at airwaves and like it was maybe, oh gosh, it must've been like two or three in the morning. Um, and everyone was like, okay, we're going to walk back to where we're staying. And I asked my friend, I was just like, well, should someone walk me back to the, to the hotel? And he was like, did you, do you not know where it is? And like Reykjavik is like the size of my living room. So like, he's kind of asking me like, silly American, do you have no mental map? Um, and I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, no, I know where it is, but like, it's, it's, it's like three in the morning. And he was like, right. Like, and he's just like looking at me, like, I'm feeling like we are coming. <laughs> like, like, am I not saying this right? <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I was like, is this one of those like same language, different language moments? Like I couldn't, figure <laughs> it like, I was just like, what is going on? And then like, we kind of like brought the discussion to the bigger group and they explained to me, they were like, why would you need like a walk home? And I'm like, and I, I finally said, I was just like, I'm a small woman. They're like, we know that. And I was like, and like and and then they told me of like literally there's there was a murder it was like the murder that happened in Iceland like over like the decades there was there was one and it was like a huge national scandal and like they they sold it within like two days like it was this big deal but the point is is that there was just the one and so Mm -hmm. the idea of needing to like have someone walk you home there is like ridiculous because they're like what's going to happen to you? You're going to get taken by the wind? Like, they're like... <laughs> well, that in- sounds like you, you, you painted it like a utopia, really. Yeah. It really, I mean, there's like petty theft occasionally. Like one of my friends got their bike stolen and that was another big scandal. But it's like, I literally, I did. I was like, I am going to do it. So like I walked home and I realized I was being really vigilant for absolutely no reason yeah and, and, and like, how, how, how did that feel at first I was just like I was kind of doing this like spy versus spy and then I realized I'm like standing by the harbor looking over the water and then I just started crying because I was like oh my god I've been carrying this around with me all this time when I don't have to it's just because other people are garbage <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah I mean all of that stuff that's like just innately stitched into your actions you know and, and because that's sort of what you've been conditioned to unfortunately have to guard against like it's fucked it's so fucked up and that's why that's why when you know I feel like moments like Sarah Everard's moment uh, murder here you know when, when she, when she was, was was killed in in South London recently and and there was this huge obviously like vocal vocal movement of women just being like it's it's enough like we carry this round and it's stressful and it's fucking hideous and it's not fair and it's falling on deaf ears again and again and again and again particularly because her you know her attacker was a was a fucking policeman 
Yeah. Um, there's a whole other. Which is, oh God, I was just like, oh, please stay. Yeah, cheers, cool. Um, yeah, like thinking, thinking in yeah, those just, 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 just hearing that, yeah. unfortunately, again and again and again, all of the, all of the anxieties and the self-protective instincts that are kind of like have been drilled into so many people from you know from birth it must it must have been like you said it's so interesting that that was like a really powerful moment for you and you just wept because yeah um, it's like like this armor is heavy and I got to take it off like that's so exciting (laughs) like and when you're and like thinking about that in context of what you're saying about even like storytelling and whatnot and like what we find in horror and in a way like being isolated for this long um, in varying degrees, it's almost like we get to see kind of like the dark bits of ourselves, but now we get to emerge how we like, is how I'd put it. Like people keep saying like, oh, are we returning to normal? And I'm like, I don't think we should. Yeah. Um, what was, you know, particularly at the beginning, we were all full of what lessons are we gonna learn? And like, how is this gonna change society? And yeah. you know, are we going to finally have our moment of realizing that we need to look after the planet and, you know, and kill it a bit less quickly? And, you know, and are we going to change about this sort of inequalities within society and the ways that we treat each other badly? Blah, blah, blah. Like, unfortunately, it just wasn't that moment. Just, and I, I say moment, it was two yeah. fucking years. But like, it is, it's a real, you know, it felt like there was a moment we could emerge from this and, you know, people kept saying, when, th- when are things going to return to normal? And you're like, well you know should they <laughs> right also, exactly I mean, should should they for a start and I don't know it's kind of I think it's like all kind all forms of nostalgia I think are kind of innately flawed because mm-hmm. you're always looking back to a time that was probably quite unfair on quite a lot of people yes. <laughs> um, and so that's you know that's another thing that for me is so sinister about the kind of mm. politics and so many different you know so many different places around the world that are kind of harking back to this this idealized time you're like it's idealized for a thin slice of like of of privileged usually white usually male society um so I don't know there's something kind of I I think like nostalgia can can be lovely and warm and fuzzy and comforting but it's not that way for everybody and it can be super naive to kind of so then in a sort of post covid existing world you know the idea of people constantly saying like well when are things going to go back to normal yeah you're right it's 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 more it's it's more complicated than that and I wish it had been as easy as us all kind of having these private moments of like what are we going to change about ourselves and obviously some people have been amazing in that respect but but it is sort of interesting as as the world opens up you know particularly in the UK like things are how they were before and it's I look to like, you know, we're, we're lucky enough to have a national health service here. You know, we don't have to pay for it. <laughs> that's, that's been our normal forever, you know, in, in my lifetime. And and, yeah. you know, and it's it's amazing. But we also have an awful right-wing government that are doing everything in their power to kind of corrode that and try and privatise it. But, you know, when at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, in the first couple of lockdowns where so many people were dying and nurses were... Sacrifices were sacrificing so much and they were kind of giving their lives and but historically in the UK like recently healthcare workers you know wages are shamefully low and and constantly being driven down you know there was a real like that as an example of like guys these people are fucking heroes and they're literally saving every like they're you know they are 
you know, to use more cliches, but they're, like, they're amazing. Their jobs are so important. They're fucking miracle workers. Like this is this is insane. We should celebrate them more, yes. and we should pay them more for a start. And um, you know, there was all of that rhetoric, and nothing materialized. Nothing, you know. And that is such a tangible, easily fixable, like obvious yes. thing. And the fact that like the fact that we didn't learn from that in its most direct form and make that one simple change, you know, and obviously we're just one country in, you know, whatever, but we're, we're a stubborn species. Yeah. It's annoying. It's annoying. Isn't it? <laughs> like When you're speaking to that, like I, oh, my friends who also work in healthcare here, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's basically different flavors of uh, just the variety of awful. Just, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and thinking about what you said of like, you know, that we hoped that people would have this realization, like the thing that came to mind was like, the only way I, I know how to cope with it and not like fall into despair is to make like individual choices. And then in my direct community, like affect change there. And then like, just hope that it spreads outward. But I'm like, okay, at least if I can make a choice or I can have a conversation with someone and it shifts like one thing, I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> like, because otherwise I get overwhelmed if I'm like, well, I need to solve a whole country's worth of things. I'm like, <laughs> like, you know, like how do I do that? <laughs> but I'm like, if I can have, if I can have a conversation, if I can make a piece of art, if I can do something that just like, you know, shifts someone's lens a little bit, then they might behave differently. And then people around them will be affected by their behavior. And it's like, just kind of ripples outward. Um, yeah, in, in this album that we just made, um, it kind of deals with um, a lot of themes of like how dystopian our current reality can often feel. Yeah. Uh, and and sort of tries to have a bunch of conversations around big topics about like how technology is affected, how we see ourselves and relate to each other and like our relationships and our sense of self-worth and how we can project ourselves online and the difference between the digital spaces and the real spaces and escapism. Yes. And, you know, that I think are really interesting, but like obviously I come from a place of, in a lot of ways, vast hypocrisy. I'm not. I'm never going to be like you should use a phone less because I'm the fucking worst phone addict in the entire world. But um, but yeah, so I think it was like one of the things we sort of tried to juggle in the album was having like, mentioning and trying to have conversations that are massive and almost incomprehensible, yeah. and then sort of trying to ground it in reality and pull it back down to like the minutiae. So there's yeah. a moment album where it goes super like mega ang angsty paranoid the world is fucked um and then we try and like pop it and bring it back down to earth and be like it's this person that you're in bed with like pulling you out of your head and being like oi just just yeah. be here and see you can do about that for now not that you shouldn't care because you should care but you shouldn't care all the time because you will go fucking crazy can't hold all of that inside inside you there's a theory in art that um, I am blanking on the author's name. It's I think it's Timothy Horton or Norton. The book is called Hyper Objects about how we're in the age of like ideas and concepts that are too big to actually hold. They have surpassed what an object is or even what an idea is. So he called them hyper objects, like, mm. like climate change, which you can't hold climate change necessarily in your hand. You can't like look at something and go, oh, that's climate change. You can only see signs of it because it's like an overarching hyper object. It's almost like that where if you if you care so hard about something, it it's not that you don't care about it, but you, you can't do anything about it. You can't hold on to it. So yeah. I like that, that you have those zoom out moments. To be like, yeah. hey, come on back. Yeah, totally. Come on back in, but come on back. <laughs> like, you can spiral into those things, right? And yeah. and like you said, it's not that we can't try and affect change in a small way on a personal level or, you know, 
I don't know, by campaigning or protesting or whatever, but like often it just feels like you're not really doing much, however hard you try. You know, look yeah. at look at someone with someone like Greta who's got this like amazing platform that she's built herself through sheer intelligence and determination yes. and, yes. and you know, um and she couldn't really have a louder mouthpiece and still is perpetually frustrated at how no one's listening and no one's really making the changes that they keep promising they'll make and you know it's uh she, she I find her like so inspiring and amazing but it equally it's it's kind of to see her operate at that level and 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 still be as frustrated as she is because of the lack of change is it's it's a weird mix of kind of inspiring and, and, and a little bit yeah it's that like dichotomy yeah. of like because affecting systematic change I, I always try to hold in mind like that it takes a long time like systematic change takes a while like <laughs> being a classics major um but like I, I remember even studying like you know follow the Roman Empire and now I'm like ah did anyone else study that <laughs> um <laughs> like we probably, probably should listen to that <laughs> yeah um but yeah it's like that things things are cyclical and that like even though it looks like something either collapses all at once or rises all at once it's it's a process and so I feel like we're like we're just for better or worse, historically in, in a process point. <laughs> I was like, I wouldn't have necessarily chosen this as the point of history to live, but I'm like, here we are. <laughs> We're in a process point where it's like- It's the one that I happen to occupy, so. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh, well, you've been so generous with your time today. I feel as though I could just like talk to you all afternoon. And I'm like, I'm assuming you probably have like other people to talk to slash things to do. <laughs> My last chat of the day. Um, a couple of friends are about to show up and it's Friday night, 8.30. It's pretty, it's going to get pretty wild. It's not, I'm working tomorrow, but, um, <laughs> but no, it was such a pleasure to get to chat to you. Sorry for, sorry if, if I made absolutely no sense whatsoever. You but... made the exact right amount of sense. Okay, good. Thanks. Thank you. For... <laughs> Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. Bye.